Hi, and welcome to Reason for Hope. I hope you're having a great day, and thanks for tuning in. If you're new to us, welcome, and I'm happy that you found us. Please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already done so, and give us a good rating. It really helps us to get the word out, and hit the share button. Also, join us on social media where we keep you engaged through our music, our videos, and our daily reflections. And by the way, all the music that you're going to hear on this podcast is original and created by the Array of Hope team. So subscribe to us on Spotify and all the other music platforms. So today we're going to talk about something I know very little about. Well, I mean, I did once, but not really now. You might say, why? What are you talking about? Well, it's about dating. I haven't dated in quite some time. I've been married to my wife, Sue, now for over 35 years, so I'm not an expert in this field. But I have got some thoughts and concerns as to how our culture views dating. I believe that young people lack the understanding of what dating should be like and why we date in the first place. But I was smart enough to bring a well-informed guest in today, and that is Sarah Swafford. I'm telling you, I am really impressed with Sarah. Her spirit is so full of joy, a joy that's contagious. I'm really excited to share this interview with you today. So welcome to Reason for Hope, and here we go. Okay, so here we are again with Dr. David Heidek. Hello, David. How are you, Mario? How are you doing today? I'm eh? doing all right. It's my Italian coming out. (laughs) So uh, today is a very relevant topic, especially for teenagers and young adults. Also for parents trying to help them navigate the confusion surrounding relationships today. Now, I know, Dave, you and I, when we were growing up, dating was kind of like pretty straight ahead, straightforward, right? Uh, It wasn't without its challenges and pitfalls, but for the most part, it was straight ahead. Guy meets girl, likes girl, asks her out a couple of times. They like one another. You're my girlfriend. You're my boyfriend, right? Pretty simple. But now, uh, people just don't seem to date anymore. People don't know what status to give their relationship or what to call themselves. Or We kind of live in this sort of hookup culture. People get involved sexually, and then they try to figure out how they feel about one another or where the relationship stands, if anywhere. Technology in particular has brought that confusion to a new level. Um, so, Dave, how should Catholics look at dating today? I think we need to ask ourselves a question. And that question is, what is the purpose of dating? What's the nature of dating? I would start by looking at the purposes of matrimony. And that may sound like an odd place to start, but you'll see where I'm going to go with this because I really think the way we need to understand dating is in terms of its orientation to marriage. Hmm. So, in other words, we're going to work backwards. (laughs) The tradition of the church has what is called the three goods of marriage. St. Augustine wrote about this. Uh, Pius XI, in his his encyclical Casti Canubi uh, on Christian marriage, wrote about them. And those three are offspring, conjugal faith, and the sacrament. 
So the first is offspring. Um, the procreation and education of children is the primary end of matrimony. And these children should be lovingly begotten. Marriage is about family and about parenthood. In fact, the word matrimony comes from the Latin word for mother. I don't know if you know that. No, I didn't know That's that. mater matrice. Mm. So, so matrimony and motherhood, and I would say fatherhood by extension, are intertwined with one another. So this is the first, the offspring, the first good of marriage. The second is conjugal faith. This was also called by St. Augustine the faith of chastity. And uh, and this is the the holy and pure love that spouses are supposed to have for one another, the selfless love that Christ has for the church, a love that refuses to use the other, that refuses to objectify the other, that's willing to die for the other's own sake, a total mutual self-giving that brings about the unity of mind and heart, of wills even. So, so this kind of love is the second good of marriage, the, the conjugal faith, the faith of chastity. So the third good is the sacrament, and this refers to the indissoluble bond of matrimony. Remember what Jesus said to those who were talking to him about whether or not it's okay for a man to divorce his wife for any cause. He said, whatever therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. This permanence, this stability is a blessing. It's a blessing for families. It's a blessing for couples. Indeed, it's a blessing for whole societies. Whole societies benefit from the stability of matrimony. So the sacrament also refers to the fact that Christ raised marriage from the natural to a supernatural plane, to be a sign of God's love in the world. And it has to have God's grace in order to be that. People can't do that on their own power. And this is key too, because what it basically means is that the grace that God provides through the sacrament helps the man and the woman to become more perfect lovers. And what I mean by that is that they grow in perfection. They grow in the perfection of charity, which is called in the catechism holiness. Holiness is the perfection of charity. So ultimately, the sacramentality of marriage has as an aim the the holiness of husband and wife, that, that I'm supposed to help my wife grow in holiness. She's supposed to help me grow in holiness. Our relationship is to is supposed to help both of us grow in that perfection. And in fact, Pius XI in Casti Canubi says that this mutual growth in holiness is the chief reason and purpose of matrimony. So that's a great blessing of matrimony. Now, I bring these three goods up because if we don't have these things in mind about what marriage is supposed to be, we don't have a sense of how dating is supposed to go. Right on, yeah. So if we don't think about dating in terms of it's preparing me for that relationship, right. then I can do things that actually encourage the alternative habits, the, the very opposite kind of habits that I'm going to need when I'm actually married. And then secondly, if I'm not looking at the dating relationship 
as a way of discerning whether or not this person is supposed to be my spouse, Mm -hmm. then I also have that relationship wrong. I look at the other person as just somebody to have fun with. I, I look at them in terms of, you know, enjoyment, which are the opposite kinds of values that I should be engendering in a relationship. So I think that that's really, really key. Now, here's my argument. This is the nature of marriage. This is what God created it for. So what is the nature of dating? Though humans throughout history and cultures have developed different expressions of this man and woman relationship prior to marriage, the fundamental purpose, it seems to me, was always to determine if this relationship will lead to marriage. That is, dating relationships ought to be ordered to matrimony. It's about discerning whether or not this person is the one. And let's just say that there are ways to approach these relationships that can help that discernment and ways to approach these relationships that can hurt that discernment. There are ways to approach these relationships that can build the kind of personal character traits that will be necessary for a marriage or that encourage bad habits from the start that folks will bring into their marriages later on. Okay, Dave, I mean, that sounds pretty pretty logical. And you mentioned that dating is somehow directed to marriage uh, and that understanding what marriage is helps us with how people should go about dating. But can you be a little bit more specific about what values should guide people dating today? And maybe also give us some concrete examples. Sure. So I'm going to start with this passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. St. John Paul II in The Theology of the Body, when he's talking about chastity, uses this passage as his basis, and it's really a beautiful reflection that he gives. So it starts with verse 3. For this is the will of God, your holiness, it says in some translations, your sanctification, that you abstain from unchastity, from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like heathens who do not know God, that no man transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we solemnly forewarned you. For God has not called us for unchastity, but for holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So the reason um, why I think that's an important passage Well, there are many reasons, but I think what we realize is that we need to approach dating differently than the world. Heathen means those who don't know God, right? So I think that that's important. It comes clear across in that passage that those who belong to Christ, those who know God, cannot date the way the world dates. So we need to kind of start from there. I think a lot of people want to feel normal, and they just kind of fall into whatever the culture tells them is the way they should be going. And uh, with social media, it gets even worse, I think. Mm-hmm. So, so we need to first kind of have that stance. I also think another important thing here is that there's these two components um, that St. Paul is talking about, that we need to abstain from unchastity, and control our body in holiness and honor. Um, It's interesting, uh, abstaining from unchastity, some translations say keep the body in holiness and honor. There's, I need to abstain from that which is sinful, from impurity, 
and I need to guard, I need to guard my purity. Uh, this is interesting, a little aside, another translation for keep the body in holiness and honor is to know how to acquire a wife. That translation is really interesting because it speaks directly to this idea of dating, right? So there's a sense that holiness and honor ought to be the values that are guiding how I try to acquire a wife, how I try to acquire a husband. In other words, how I date. Mm -hmm. So that's key. Um, I would argue that dating these days, therefore, has to be principled and purposeful. Well, that means that I need to be going about it the way God wants me to go about it, where I'm not only safeguarding my own chastity, but the chastity of the person whom I'm dating. That I'm not only trying to um, bring my Christian values and, and God's commandments right front and center in this relationship, um, but that it's purposeful. In other words, we're not just hanging out. We're not just along for the ride. We're not just trying to have a good time. I'm approaching dating with this mindset that it's intentional. I, I have the end in mind. And think about how beginning with the end in mind changes the way you even approach dating. It's a very different thing, Dr. Janet Smith says, when you're looking at somebody and judging them in terms of a sexual partner than when you're looking at them and judging them in terms of I want this person to be the mother of my children, the father of my children. It's a very different set of values, a, a different set of eyeglasses that you're looking at that relationship through. And so beginning with that end in mind that I'm now going to, I'm not going to approach dating the same way. I'm going to be much more intentional. It's going to be a, a way in which I can come up with I can learn about the other person and those things that are important in a marriage, in a wife, in a husband, in a father of my children, in a mother of my children. And so in this sense, therefore, I think we need to be paying attention for the things that last. That's right. And so if you're not thinking about that stuff up front, then your focus is on the wrong thing. Hmm. Um I think nowadays everything's sentimentalized. It's like how I feel. It's like um, th that what dominates in relationships is a sense of connection. Mm -hmm. and, and it almost like shuts people's brains off. And they don't think about the things that really are going to matter in a relationship. Mm -hmm. So um, now just something about the church's teaching on chastity because this is important. Uh, it talks about refraining from unchastity. What does it mean, according to the church, to live chastity, to live according to God's plan when you're not married? And that's a big deal. And people ask me, you know, doc, Dr. Heiduck, uh, you know, how far can you go? According to the church, all sexual relations are, are reserved exclusively for the married. Mm -hmm. So that really means that so much of what occupies people's attention during dating relationships these days is supposed to be off limits for the Christian. It's off limits. And, you know, people say, well, what about kissing? And I'll say, well, okay, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to become too rigid here. But you should also be aware that there's an unchaste kind of kissing. Hmm. Right? There's a kissing that's a sign of affection, and there's a kissing that's really a sexual kissing that is a promise of more. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that that distinction has to be kept in mind because we're supposed to be keeping the body in holiness and honor, right? We're supposed to be refraining from unchastity. God hasn't called us to unchastity or uncleanness. These are things that have to be in our head. And so we need to be always looking at our intentions and how that lust is growing in us. And that can be, I think, certain kinds of kissing, by the way. Now, people sometimes will accuse me and say, well, that's very prudish, Dave. You know, Christians aren't supposed to be prude. That's puritanical. I'm like, don't give me that. There's a difference between prudish and prudent. According to the Catechism, prudence is the virtue that disposes practical reason to discern our true good in every circumstance and to choose the right means of achieving it. The prudent man, it says in Proverbs, looks where he is going. So prudence is the virtue that helps you look ahead. St. Thomas Aquinas writes, following Aristotle, that prudence is right reason in action. Prudence is a virtue that helps you look ahead and see what things lead to other things. Helps you to kind of anticipate. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, you've got to be prudent. Right. Right. You've got to be prudent. And so a healthy distrust of oneself in the sexual arena, especially as emotions and feelings are deepening and, and you're experiencing all of that, you know, they're powerful. And we need to know that and be on guard against that and therefore keep ourselves, I think, out of places where unchastity is, is likely, you know, um, hanging out in your girlfriend's basement, watching a movie when nobody's home, mm-hmm. not a good idea just not a good idea. That's not prudent. Therefore, being among families, you know, being in public places, being intentional about going on a date, really having conversations, I think these are are really smart things to do and they're prudent things to do. Hmm. That's why I would say, by the way, one, one very important thing for people to do when they're dating is to see the other person with in their various settings. So, Go visit and be with them in their family and see how they relate to their parents, see how Mm. they relate to their brothers and sisters, their little brothers and sisters. How are they with kids? Mm -hmm. You know, um, go see them, how they relate to with their friends. Do they act differently around their guy friends? Do they act differently towards you when they're around their guy friends? These are just like things you learn about the person. So I think that if we look at dating in terms of those three goods of matrimony, that you're going to figure out a lot of ways you can approach dating that are going to be different than the world's way. Well, Dave, thank you once again. This is always great. God bless you, Mario. You too. So our guest today is Sarah Swafford. What an awesome young lady she is. Sarah is the author of Emotional Virtue, A Guide to Drama-Free Relationships. She has appeared on EWTN's Life of the Rock, EWTN Live, as a co-host on the show At the Heart of the Relationships, and has also been featured in the National Catholic Register. She is a contributor to Chosen, Ascension Press's Confirmation Program, and The Why Disciples, True Beauty. She's also contributed to videos for Women Made New, and she's a proud member of the Chastity Project and speaks at the Steubenville Youth Conferences all around the United States and Canada. Let's welcome Sarah Swafford. So, Sarah, how are you? Thank you so much for joining us today. We're excited to have you on our podcast. How are you? 
So thank you so much for having me. I am a huge fan of you guys and have been for a long time. And so thank you for spending some time here in the old wild, wild west of the world, the craziness that is life right now. <laughs> well, we're a fan of yours too. And uh, your message is so important to the culture. And we're going to get into that, but uh, it, it's wonderful to have you with us. Um, <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your childhood. Were you raised Catholic? Oh, yeah. uh, are you a cradle Catholic? What was your, your yeah. upbringing like? You know, I was born and raised here in Kansas. Um, my parents went to Benedictine College and graduated from there and then settled here in Atchison. And um, I am a cradle Catholic. So my parents were both Catholic um, and they come from big families. So my mom's one of eight and my dad's one of five. Wow. And I'm the first grandchild on one side and I'm the fourth on the other. And I have like 50, I think it's like 53 first cousins. Oh so I come from a... Yeah, I come from a really big, wonderful family, and um, I have just, I really grew up in just an all-American, just beautiful Catholic home, um, but my parents always, they always joke, like, they'll say, Sarah, speak, uh, speak slowly, we're 70s Catholics, you know? <laughs> so my parents, um, they, like, grew up in the time of the church where there just wasn't a lot, like, um, you know, I didn't have a youth group growing up, but my mom took me to like NCYC and like, we would try to do fun things. And that was really her introduction to the church as well. In, in a way, you know, like, um, any type of youth kind of get togethers or whatnot. They just didn't have a lot in the seventies and the eighties when my mm. parents were, you know, kind of like growing up in the church. And so, um, so yes, raised Catholic and loved my faith. Um, I also, you know, went to a really small, uh, high school. So my high school, I graduated with 18 in my class, wow, um, total small. 18. Uh, we were eight-man state football champs. So to all my athletes out there, there's a thing called eight-man football, which is really fun. So, wow. um, but yeah, so I just grew up in a really great, beautiful home. Um, my dad battled cancer when I was in sixth grade and beat it. So that was a, a really kind of a beautiful moment in my faith of just like, it becomes very real when someone close to you is is dying, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I really asked a lot of questions in like sixth grade and then, um, I was bullied pretty bad in my seventh and eighth grade years of school. And so that really formed me in my faith as well. And I ended up switching schools and going to a different high school because of that. And um, it's so funny when you look back at your life and, you know, I asked God so many times, like, why did I have to go through that? You know, why did I have to go through different things in my, my junior high or even my high school experience? And now I just kind of laugh because I look back and I go, Oh Lord, like you were totally preparing me to like, mm -hmm. you know, do the ministry I do to raise the kids I'm raising. You know, you just have such unbelievable empathy um, and sympathy when you have been through some things yourself. And so um, I, I like to share that message with people when you're going through something. Um, there is a beautiful, you know, connection to what God might be doing, you know, in your life later when you're gonna have to like call upon that experience. And um, I heard someone say once, show me your misery, I'll show you your ministry. Mm. And I loved that because that really was how I got into ministry was I just had such a heart for young adults and teens and just people going through the drama and the hardship and the, the agony sometimes of being, um, you know, 13, 30 or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I just really poured into that and that's really where my ministry started. So yeah, that's a beautiful story. I mean, sometimes people mistake, you know, like, why is God punishing me? Why is God allowing this to happen in my life? Oh, I hate God. And and it's really uh, the wrong perspective. And it, it's God is allowing you, like you had said, to form you and to develop a relationship and really a trust, right? A patience. And that yes. was beautiful to hear that story. And often people don't hear that God 
makes good out of everything. We just need to look for it. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I guess my other question is, was there ever a aha moment where you literally fell in love with Christ and you said, oh my gosh, did that ever happen? Tell me a little bit about that moment. I, I think that um, conversion is ongoing for your whole life, right? It's like, Lord, take me deeper, take me deeper, take me deeper. You know, that's like a prayer of mine always. And uh, I look back on, you know, my eighth grade year, my seventh grade year, um, all the stuff that I went through in high school really was taking me on a journey towards, I think, my big conversion moment, which was for, for me personally, um, I always kind of had one foot um, in the world and one foot with the Lord. You know, like that was, I very much straddled, I was a fencer is what I call myself. You know, I very much straddled the fence mm-hmm. for most of high school and then college a little bit too. It was just like, I didn't really know where I belonged and um, I wanted God in my life, but it was, I felt like I constantly was worried about what I was going to lose if I went all in with the Lord, you know, like what, what would I be forfeiting or giving up? Mm -hmm. Um, And like so many young adults and teens and whatnot, the world is just so loud and you're just, you feel like you're expected to be like expected to look a certain way to do a certain, you know, pattern of things. You have to be successful. You have to be smart. You have to be beautiful. You have to be athletic. You have to be, you know, all these things. And it's like, you play that game and it's completely exhausting, but that you have, you feel like you have to kind of, keep up with it and you don't want to be lapped or, you know, you don't want to be, you know, like everybody else is going to pass you by if you don't, you know, hang in there. And so, so that was really hard for me because I felt like the Lord knocked on my heart a lot, I think in high school, but it was just, I kind of just would kind of push him away because of my perfectionistic tendencies. My, I'm not ready. I'm not good enough yet. I'm still working on things or I don't want you to be too close because I don't know what that's going to look like to the rest of my friends and, you know, things like that. Um, and so I was in a really kind of in a really dark place. Um, in my college, I was a sophomore in college. Um, and I had been with I, my boyfriend of a couple of years. Um, we had broken up and it was really messy. And I just kind of had kind of drifted from, from my God, from my faith, from all of that. And it's just, it's so easy to get kind of wrapped up into a dark place when you're going through something, you know, so, so heartbreaking. And, um, that's why, again, it's so funny to that. I, I mean, so funny quote unquote <laughs> that I do ministry relationships and, and things like that. Cause I've been through, you know, horrible breakups. I've been through, you know, really emotional uh, stuff where it's like, I thought my whole life, my whole world was set and then all ended, you know? So it's just cool. A lot of people sometimes will say like, Sarah, have you ever been through any of the things you talk about? I'm like, I wrote a book on Hello? it. Like wrote a book. Like, yeah, like most, Hello? you know, a lot of the stories I'm telling are yeah. about me. Yeah. Right. So yeah. anyway, um, <laughs> so it's really good. And when I was a sophomore in college, um, I had some friends uh, sign me up on a retreat for like a weekend retreat in college and they had confession and adoration um, on that Saturday night and God just blew the doors open in my life. I hadn't been to confession in years and mm. I, I'd never really been to adoration either. It was kind of something I'd, I had heard of and like maybe stumbled upon it, but I didn't really know what was going on. And this retreat just really, I, I don't think I ever before just sat before the Lord like that and just, you know, really opened my heart to him and the, the priest in the confessional um, really changed my life. And he just told me, he's like, Sarah, I want you to run to the Lord and I want you to give him everything that you're struggling with, everything that you're holding, everything that you're you're dealing with, all of your mistakes, all of your past, just everything. Just give it to him. Give it to someone who can actually do something about it and then fall into his arms and let him love you like no human man can because you keep going around all these different people and like especially all these different guys and you're trying to make them your God and make them your savior. And he looked at me, he said, Sarah, they can't be that for you. And you will crush them under the weight of that. And you will always be disappointed. And I just, that night was just really this, you know, culmination of so many people who had been in my life, knocked on my heart, God, you know, knocking on my heart. And it just all kind of came to this one moment where I just saw so clearly that he was right. I was trying to make guys an image and, you know, all that, the world, just the world kind of my God. And that I felt like I was going to find fulfillment there, but it was so empty and it was 
so hard and it was so exhausting and it just wasn't working. And, um, and I was so frustrated. Mm. And so he just named that. And then he just, he told me, he's like, I want you to, to run with the Lord, let him heal you, let him make you whole. And then, and then when you're ready, just, you know, start running towards heaven and, mm-hmm. and then glance to the side and see who's running with you. And maybe that's who you're supposed to be with, you know? And it just like cured all my, like, you know, all my anxiety about dating. It was just like, Oh my gosh, I've never even thought about it like that. And, um, so yeah, I started going, you know, to mass every Sunday, started going to confession once a month, started really looking at my life and just like what was toxic and what was he- like, what was hurting me and what was helping me and who was hurting me and who was helping me, hmm. uh, grow closer to the Lord. And, um, and that was really my, all of my college experience was, was healing and growing and growing in virtue and being friends with, you know, people that really pulled me towards the Lord and, um, just really reevaluating what I felt was the most important thing in my life. And it was, I always tell people, it wasn't like an overnight thing. It wasn't like, Oh, good. And we're done healed and mm-hmm. figured out, but it was this beautiful slow roll where the Lord just really just worked with me, worked on me. I kept going back to him over and over again. And, um, and that's, I mean, really that's conversion just mm-hmm. over and over again. I feel like that's what God's been doing in my life. But I, I, that's why I love Steubenville conferences, focus conferences, you know, any type of retreat I can go on, any conference I go on. I'm just like, yeah. I know that God has brought people there for that same kind of experience right. that I had. And so I'm, oh man, when I can get to be in those situations, so I miss it so much with coronavirus. It's, it's been so hard. It's There's hard. a huge part of my heart that just aches for that. But the Lord is in everything. He's in the small, he's in the big, he's in the quiet, he's in the loud, he can be everywhere. So um, I just, I love those moments though, where he really meets us in adoration and confession. That's beautiful. So you spoke a little bit about your book, Emotional Virtue. Uh, tell us a little bit about it, uh, you know, why you wrote it and, and what, it, what it, you know, what, you know, what's in it, uh, who is it yeah. for, that kind of stuff. I started doing ministry at Benedictine when I was here. I was a dorm mom, like a residence hall director. So I, uh, my husband and I, at the time, our two little boys lived in the dorms and I was just doing ministry. Um, I didn't really call it that though. I was just hanging out, you know, just kind of, loving on the men and women at Benedictine and, and helping them navigate through some tough times. Um, social media came out about that time. Uh, texting became more of a thing about that time. Uh, this is probably like 2007, 8, 9, 10 in that area. And um, it was just really beautiful. And I absolutely loved it. But I cannot imagine going through high school and college with a phone or social media. Uh, I missed all of it by like a year. And uh, so I just started like man, like what would I have done and how would I have coped and how would I have managed my insecurities and my anxieties? And I think some of the questions we ask as humans the most, never out loud, but like in our own minds, is like, am I enough? And am I ever going to be truly loved? And then we go to all these different places for those answers. And um, that was something that I saw in the college students. That's something I saw in the people I was ministering to. And so I just kind of started like looking at that, looking at my own formation, looking at my own experience, my own past and started giving, um, you know, just advice. And then it turned into like my living room was too small. So we started going out in the lounge and then my lounge got too small. So I finally just started giving talks at Benedictine. And it was because I was just wanting to share my heart with more than one person at a time because I didn't, I had uh, two little boys under two. So like I didn't have a lot of one-on-one time. And so I just started kind of hanging out and giving like this from, you know, my, my insight, my love for them and, and just loving on them. And it kind of just took on a life of its own. And I started getting calls from like other neighboring colleges. And then I started getting calls from high schools. And um, and then Jason Everett saw me on um, Life on the Rock on EWTN. Um, Jason Everett approached me and just said, I'm starting this thing called Chastity Project, which we just want to do, you know, ministry where we, there's, you know, lots of different topics. And he's like, I've been looking for someone that can do relationships and someone that can do like the emotional virtue, kind of the piece of that. Um, and he's like, would you want to fly out and, 
just like talk. And so I, we, my husband and I flew out, we had dinner. We had like a seven hour dinner with Crystalline and Jason, just like very much similar hearts and minds mm-hmm. and ministry. And, um, and so I just started speaking, you know, with, with them, with Steubenville, with focus, I started just like doing a bunch of stuff. And then eventually Jason kind of came to me and said, you can't be everywhere. You're a stay at home mom. And you, you know, I only travel a couple times a month, you know, so I can't be everywhere. He's, he's like, you have to start writing this down mm. because this needs to be in people's hands, even though you can't be everywhere. And I was like, dude, I have three little kids. Like that's going to take me like 10 years. There's no way I could write a book. And he just kept encouraging me. And, and a lot of people were encouraging me because I would get done with a talk and they'd be like, where can I find this? Like, I want to read, I want to like, where can I find this? And I was like, I don't know. I don't really, I, I'm like, I don't know. It's in my head, you know, yeah. it's in my heart. So, um, so I ended up taking like two, it took me like two years. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. You know, writing a book is really, really hard. Yeah. And, uh, but I just started writing down everything that I wanted them to know, like a love letter from my heart. Um, and I wrote it for the men and the women, cause we're in this together and you can't date yourself. Um, so, you know, this, this, is this masculine feminine, this like, you know, genius of femininity and this, yeah. like the, this, the art of manliness, mm-hmm. you know, I just love the conversation, but I also love being able to watch people find true friendship um, with the opposite sex, find true friendship, you know, in their circles and be able to really respect and protect the opposite sex and, and being able to see that everyone's on a journey and everyone in some way is hurt and, and, you know, dealing with their own brokenness and their own woundedness. And, and then how do we interact based on that, knowing that we're all kind of, you know, trying to limp to the finish line, you know, that is life and like, Mm -hmm. how can we support each other? Um, And so the book is very much just me, kind of giving my heart, you know, it's very easy to read, but it's really just a book that it's straight from my heart and just, you know, a little bit of help for this thing we call life. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's great. Well, you mentioned dating. How how do people date today? Like how do people find their mates? What's the best way? What's the, you know, maybe you can give the audience uh, that's listening some helpful hints because I hear that, you know, finding partners to date and then potentially, you know, looking for a spouse is, is difficult today. Maybe you can, you know, share a little bit about that. So I've watched this kind of deteriorate. When I got married, there was definitely a dating scene or culture. You know, it was very much, you're friends with a lot of people, you're friends with the opposite sex, you hang out, you know, mm-hmm. but there's kind of a moment where you you date. Um, and there wasn't, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it was there. There was definitely drama. There's always going to be drama because breakups are real, right? And, and not, you know, some, there's always going to be something, you know, that, that can be difficult about a relationship. But I think the introduction of social media and the introduction of texting um, and phones, which was a complete game changer. And I'm not a, I'm not a social media hater or a phone hater. You know, I'm not, I'm on all of it. I, I don't think our phones are going away. Right. So, I mean, I just think that, that it changed the way people interact, you know, Tinder um, changed the way that people interact. And so for instance, I have a lot of guys who have asked me to give a talk called how to flirt again. Like, how do you flirt again? You know, cause a lot of guys, uh, they'll tell me and a lot of girls, they'll tell me like they kind of hide behind their phone. You know, they, they're like, Oh, I would, I, I might text that to someone, but I would never say it to them. You know, or, or like a lot of guys and girls will be kind of talking to a lot of different people, like maybe two or three different people. Um, but that the other two or three people don't know that that person exists. And, you know, it's, it's very much, you know, there's a lot of emotion involved. There's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lack of clarity sometimes. Um, I wrote 58 pages in my book called how to go from Hey to I do. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of talk in there about how do you take the next step? How do you navigate, you know, asking a girl, you know, I, I call it stating your intentions, defining the relationship, you know, men will come to me and be like, thank you so much for like giving words to that because I've never, like, I just don't know how to 
how to like make that jump from I, I'm an acquaintance of you, I kind of know you, we're kind of friends to like, I would really like to get to know you better. So, or I would love to, you know, see if there is something between us. Um, and then talking and speaking to the men and women also about being careful not to jump in too quickly. Like just because someone asks you to coffee, that's not a marriage proposal, you know, because so many people aren't asking that when something does happen, it's hard not to get excited and be like, this is it, this is it. We're getting married. You know, like this is the guy, this is the girl we're done. I don't have to be single anymore. Um, and then all of a sudden it becomes something that maybe the other person was just, you know, not, that's not exactly where they were. And so there's all these hard feelings and, um, so yeah, I've, I've been in a lot of conversations about whether dating even exists anymore with the hookup culture and with, um, you know, just the lack of marriage in general, the lack of desire. There's, you know, a lot of students or a lot of people, you know, that I minister to their, their parents' marriage was so broken mm. and the, the marriages around them are so broken that they're like, why would I want that? Um, and that's why, you know, a lot of students at Benedictine will get to know Swaff and I, and they're like, I didn't know that that relationship was even possible. Like your guys' marriage is what I want, but I've never seen it. So I kind of gave up hope on it. Mm. Um, and so that's part of my ministry is I think, you know, like just making sure that everyone knows that there are people out there that are like you. There are people out there that want, you know, like you said, a, you know, a JP2 marriage, you know, something with John Paul, the great marriage, you know, where it's mm-hmm. like, I want what's best for you. I don't want to use you. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to hurt you. I, you're not just an emotional filler for me. You know, I like, you don't need to be my everything because Jesus Christ is my everything. And you're my running partner towards heaven. And we're yeah. not running at each other. We're running with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to be able to see that and, and to have couples that you like know that are living that out and how they live that out. Cause it's not always easy um, with chastity and sacrifice and, you know, raising kids and, you know, blending lives. Like those are all hard things, but, but trying to be a witness to the beauty of that mm. in words and in action is really where my book and, and my ministry come to life. That's great. That's great. We need more Sarah Swaffords in the world. I, I love your, and I, I love, I, well, I'm saying this because I love your energy. I love your joy. And uh, when I say we need more Sarah Swaffords, we need more people your age standing up and being courageous and say, hey, the answer is God. The answer is Christ. Why are you looking anywhere else? So, Sarah, you've been awesome. Uh, it's been great bringing you into our program. God bless you and your wonderful family and your husband and all your work. And Thank may you. we see each other soon. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to Array of Hope. And um, that's definitely what people are looking for right now is hope and peace and freedom and joy. And you guys are bringing it. So just keep up the good work. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Amen. Hey, thanks for hanging out with us today. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and please share it with others. This podcast is only made possible by donors and supporters of Array of Hope. You can become part of the Array of Hope family by going to our donation page on our website at arrayofhope.net. So listen, stay in touch with us throughout the week on social media where we keep you engaged through our music, our videos, and our daily reflections. We have lots of great stuff to share with you all. We need to be continually fed, and we at Array of Hope are really working hard to help you with your faith journey. I want to thank my co-producer, David Heideck, and our engineer, Jack Garno, for putting this all together. Thanks, guys. And also a big thank you to all of you for joining us today. There's always a reason for hope. This is Mario Costabile. Until next time, peace. Peace.